Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Casey Andis. I am the discipleship director here. Um, it's good to be here with you today. And I'm actually really, I'm really excited about continuing our Holy Hospitality series uh, with all of you today. And this week, I'm going to be talking about how biblical hospitality challenges us to be radically available to one another, but with God's truth and patience. So why is being radically available to one another so important? Well, in June of 2023, the Surgeon General issued a statement that was a 72-page document on how a dangerous, on, about a dangerous epidemic in our country. And you're like, oh my gosh, not another one. Are you serious? Um, but this epidemic is loneliness and isolation. That's not a joke. You can look it up right now. Only 16% of Americans say they feel connected in any way to their local community. Only 16%. In the last 20 years, time with friends, time with family outside of our household, somehow time with family inside our household, all of those things have decreased uh, pretty drastically. And unfortunately, those statistics, that's just not the outside world. That's actually consistent with those who are part of a church. So this is affecting not just the outside world, this is affecting us in the church. So in other words, uh, our availability, it's cl- clear that our availability and our time with one another, it's, sh- it's just too little, and it's affecting us. So even when my wife, Lindsay and I, uh, when we uh, consider opening our home uh, to guests or family or friends inside the church, uh, subconsciously, we always kind of go through a few questions, right? We're kind of evaluating, you know, Uh, Are we going to open our doors or not? First question, do we have the time and energy to clean the house? That eliminates a lot of opportunities right there, all right? Do we have the time and energy to clean our house? Question number two, do we have the time and energy to go out and and do we have the money or do we want to spend the money, right, to uh, buy extra groceries, to uh, provide for those guests, you know, whether that's a dinner or lunch, and sometimes we're considering having families over, right? So it, it, it could be a lot. So do we, do we want to do that? Do we have the money or do we want to spend the money? And then question number three uh, is related to the fact that we have three children under the age of seven, okay? Uh, our third child, Nolan, God bless him, he is, uh, he is active. Uh, that's a good way to put it. He is active and he will never need a microphone to project his voice, Okay. And he loves to use that voice. And so, basically, what we're asking is, we have three kids under the age of seven. Our dinner times are loud, they're messy, and loud. Did I say that one already? Okay? They're very chaotic. And so, sometimes, we're, depending on who we're inviting over, we're like, I'm not sure if they're ready for this, you know? Or maybe it's been a while since they've had kids, I'm not sure if they remember uh, what this looks like. So, 
You know, there's some things that we kind of evaluate. Uh, I'm sure you all go through the same types of questions as we do, or at least very sim- similar. So sometimes our homes, right, there's great space. So some of you have homes with plenty of space, but they're also really nice, and there's a lot of nice stuff, right? So if we invite friends over, specifically families like my own, you, are we okay with this, all this stuff getting destroyed? Uh, some of you... Sorry, I, my family's great. I love them, by the way. Uh, some of you might feel you, your home isn't good enough, though, so, or maybe it's too small uh, or smaller than what you think uh, you need to have to host. And so you start asking questions like, well, I mean, I really want to get to know these people, but I think they might be a little wealthier. What are they going to think of our home? And so you eliminate uh, yourself from, the, you know, from having people over because of that. Uh, some of you have a young family, and it takes most of your energy just to provide for your family's needs, more or less the needs of others, right? So it's just, you're spending a lot of time and energy just uh, keeping your family afloat, so having guests over, it's just, it's just a lot. Some of you, it's a scary risk to put yourself out there. You know, maybe uh, you're new here, or maybe you've been here for four or five years and still aren't really connected all that well. And so it just feels scary to kind of put yourself out there and, and invite someone you don't know over once, more or less invite them over multiple times. Some of you, though, you're actually great at hosting people, but maybe not so great at going over to, going over to other people's homes, right? You have a great home, you love to host, you love to invite people, uh, but the first time you get invited somewhere else, you're like, uh, that's away from my home, you know? Um, so there are a thousand reasons we all have on why we don't make our homes or make ourselves available very often to each other. But the problem is the flow of our culture right now is toward loneliness and isolation. And if we are doing nothing to combat that problem, if we're doing nothing to swim against that flow, then we will continue to go downstream towards more and more isolation. Not only as a culture, but even as a church. So how can God and his word be an antidote to this problem? Romans 12, 9 through 13, we get a list of commands on how to live as a Christian community. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not like diligence. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. And be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. So before we get to the implications of pursuing hospitality, really in our own lives, I think we first need to understand how important it was to the early Christians and the early church, and specifically the Roman Christians that uh, this letter was written to. Uh, First, early disciples and apostles and really anyone of those who were spreading the gospel across the ancient world were completely dependent upon Christian hospitality. Conversions were happening, and as Jesus predicted, Christians were being cast out of their homes. Where were they to go when their families disowned them? Right? They needed someone to open their home. Where were they to go when those persecuting them were not just, you know, it's not just a one-off thing. They're persecuting, they're, they're looking for them. They're chasing them. And these Christians are fleeing to avoid being dragged off to prison or sometimes even killed. So where were they to go? They needed believers to open their homes to meet their needs of shelter, food, 
protection, and sometimes even hiding them. Hospitality, it's not just a highly praised virtue in the New Testament, though. We see great examples of this even in the Old Testament. Abraham and Lot took in angels of the Lord, which ultimately led to their deliverance. Rahab took in Israel's spies despite a danger to herself, but was rewarded by being brought into God's people and later was revealed to be in the genealogy of Jesus himself. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was dependent upon this virtue. The unsung heroes of hospitality in the New Testament, we get Peter's mother-in-law who cooked Jesus a meal immediately after she was uh, healed. And I love, uh, I know some of you are big Chosen fans, I love how this is depicted in this TV series, The Chosen. It's, I've actually only seen one season, by the way, so don't be disappointed. Just come over to my house and we can watch it together, all right? I'm applying my own sermon, all right? Um, but yeah, I love how it's depicted that as soon as she's healed, she gets up and cooks him a meal. Matthew invites Jesus into his home and then actually invites the entire town. So Matthew, he was wealthier, but he invites Jesus and then invites the entire town to have a feast with him. The people of Samaria, who were not wealthy, they were despised, they were isolated, yet they were so happy to have Jesus walk and eat with them and sleep with them for days. Jesus found almost a second home with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And some of you might be thinking, I, I would be more open to opening my home if we could host Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. That's the point. Uh, because you can. See, Jesus had such a high view of hospitality that the mission of Christ was built into it. Jesus sends out the 12 with virtually nothing uh, in, in Matthew 10, he sends out the 12 with virtually nothing so that they might be completely dependent upon hospitality. And this is what he says in Matthew 10, verse 40. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. See, Jesus is talking about his disciples. He's talking about believers in this passage. And so he had sent them out with nothing and says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. That is an amazing incentive for us to open our homes to each other. That's an amazing truth that I think we need to let sink into our hearts and then examine ourselves. Do we actually believe that or not? I don't think he's exaggerating in that passage. I think he's speaking something that is spiritually true. Think about it. The sustainer and the creator of the entire universe who left his heavenly home to pursue us through sin and brokenness and death so that we might live with him one day in his home is telling you when you welcome believers into your home, it is the same as welcoming him. Quick question with that. I know many of you are actually great at hosting. I know a lot of you have... a you're having people over in the church all the time. But I still want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you view hosting your Christian community like that? Do you approach having believers in your home with reverence and the seriousness that it deserves? Because see, if we believe what Jesus says here, it, Im it immediately 
removes any selfishness and pride that we have in hosting. Because it's not about us. And it's about him. So if we take him at his word, if we believe that, I think we would take our hosting more seriously. And I think for those of us who struggle, maybe to open our homes or be in others' homes, that it would motivate us with the correct motivation. But how available do we need to be? What does pursue hospitality mean? Well, this is what Pastor Kent Hughes says. He says, the idea is that the loving believer does not wait for the stranger to show up on the doorstep, but goes out and gets him. When Paul says that hospitality is to be pursued, he shows that we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and to look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere. Man, God always does this to us, doesn't he? We're like, hey God, what's the minimum requirement for us to obey you? And we think it's here, and then he always takes it here, right? Because what he's saying, it's not just about providing the needs of the saints, but it's actually going out and looking for those needs to provide for. It's going out and looking for problems to help fix. We are to be extremely available to one another is the answer to the question. Being there for one another is a major, major priority. Even in 1 Peter, uh, in 1 Peter 4, there's this section where he's like, hey, the end is near. They're, They're suffering so much. There's so many trials and afflictions going on. And Peter writes to them and he's like, hey, the end is near. This is what you need to do in this severe affliction. Love one another and be hospitable to one another. That's the solution. Under severe persecution and suffering, that's what Peter tells his congregation. To be hospitable. That's how important it is. So why is it not? Well, because of many of the reasons I mentioned before. We're, we're, we're too worried about getting our houses messed up. We're too worried about our stuff not being good enough. But that's all me-centered, right? That's all centered around our fears. And that's not what hospitality is. And, and we also need to remember, what are our homes for? Justin Early says this, Hospitality is not about entertaining or opening your door to the cleaned up version of your house or family. Hospitality is welcoming someone into the unvarnished mess. It's inviting someone into the chaos because that's where real family happens. I love that. That's where real family happens. Remember early in the verse, we have family, we are to have family affection for one another. When we, know it, when we know each other like family, here's what I can guarantee. It's going to look messier. <laughs> it's going to look messier. But it will be better. It will be more real. It will be more honest. And our community will have more depth. But we can't just be available to one another. That's not the only uh, thing we need here. Our needs are different from the early church. You know, their command to be hospitable then was to take in believers that were likely in danger, who were outcasts, and by taking them in, they were likely putting themselves in danger as well. So hospitality then often meant they, they also stayed with them. 
It wasn't, we're not talking about a, having them over for dinner or lunch. We're talking about having them over for multiple nights, maybe months, maybe even years, right? A lot of dinners, a lot of groceries, <laughs> living with you. So our hospitality today, likely, for most of us, is not going to put us in harm's way. And most of the time, our hospitality is just going to be having someone over for dinner or lunch. But although the stakes might not be as high when it comes to danger, or maybe our physical needs aren't quite that on par with some of the early church, the stakes are still high, and we still have needs. So we can't just be there for one another, because one of the things we need is God's truth in our relationships, and we need patience. Because right now we have deep relational and emotional needs. And God's truth and patience will be, uh, they'll be helpful towards that. So first, we must speak truth in our hospitality. See, at the beginning of the passage, the Roman Christians are commanded to detest what is evil and to cling to what is good. In order to do that, though, we must know what evil is and what good is. And that's not always easy, especially today. It's not just enough, or it's not enough just to be present in each other's lives. That's a start. That's one step. But we have to meet each, other, meet each other's needs. We have to meet, remember what our relationship in here is actually built on. What is it built on? Well, it's built on Jesus. Our connection to one, one another is through our faith in Christ. That is our main, first and foremost connection to each other. That's our foundational piece to our relationship with each other in this room, is our faith in Jesus. So, we have to speak his words to each other so that we might be encouraged and sometimes so that we might be corrected. So when I talk about truth, encouragement and correction are two sides of the same coin. That's what I'm talking about. When, we, when I talk about God's truth and speaking God's truth to one another, we must be encouraged, but we also sometimes must correct. Let's start with encouragement. Why do we need our encouragement? Well, because every week and every day, there is someone in this church, I guarantee it today, there's someone in this church whose soul is in need of great encouragement. There is a mother in this room right now who is using all of her wonderful gifts, her strength, and her time to raise her family. And she just wants to know, because it's not always easy to know this, that the church values her and more importantly, that God values her. She simply needs to hear that God sees her faithful, valuable, and glorious work, and he not only approves of it, but he celebrates it. We need to hear that. There's a husband in here who everywhere he turns is reminded by the world that he is not good enough and that he should be filled with shame. That's the message of the world right now. He needs to be reminded what God's word says about him. He needs to be reminded that he is strong in the Lord right now. That's what 1 John says. When he's preaching to the young man, he says, you are strong in the Lord now. Not you will be, but you are now. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have overcome the evil one. And a husband needs, and there's a husband in here that needs to be reminded 
of that truth, that he is needed in his family and wanted in his family. He's needed in this congregation and he's wanted in this family, and that he's capable of loving his wife and his children and capable of loving those in the church. There's a widow in the church who has lost a partner that they used to walk through life with. That has lost their loved one who used to bear the weight of life's trials and afflictions, who now feel desperately alone. Who needs to be reminded by God's people that God is with them and near to their broken heart. There's a man in this church who is struggling with the salvation who feels that God has been silent in his prayers for a long time, feels that his prayers have not left the ceiling, who is wrestling with sin and can only hear the voice of the accuser whispering into his ear that God has left him. But that is not true. And he needs reminded and encouraged by his brothers and sisters that nothing can separate him from God's loving hand. Adults are not the only one who need encouragement from God's truth. The children of this church will need it too. My daughter Evelyn, so she is seven years old, and we found out the hard day, hard hard day, we found out the hard way, it was a hard day, Uh, we found out the hard way that she was not, uh, when she was not even one, that she was severely allergic to dairy, peanuts, all tree nuts, and for some time, although thankfully not now, she was allergic to eggs for a while. Do you all know what dairy's in? Everything. It's, it's in everything, and especially all things good, right? All desserts, dairy, guarantee it right now. Ice cream, dairy. Pizza, dairy. It's, all, it's in everything. This past Halloween, we went trick-or-treating with my two boys. They got pretty tired. They're like, we're ready to call it a night. But my lovely wife, she asked Evelyn if she wanted to go out Uh, to go around the block one last time. So they did, and Evelyn got every kid's dream. She came back, and this is what our living room floor looked like. So she went around the block, went to a house, and she didn't just get like, hey, you can have some candy, pick what you want. This lady had 12 full-size candy bars and said, here you go, take it all. 12 full-size candy bars, full-size M&Ms, it was awesome. She was jacked. She, like, we called everybody. And here's the funny thing. She was so excited, and she can't eat any of it. That's terrible. <laughs> like, but she was so excited, she, and, and she couldn't eat it. No one tried to take it off her hands. But the point is, there's been a lot of moments in her life that that has been the case. You know how many birthday parties have awesome snacks and desserts that she can't be a part of. It's led to, uh, and through no one's fault, but it's led to exclusion a lot of times. Uh, early on, we didn't even have an option to put her in uh, the, uh, the kids' nursery because everything that they have there is great, right? Like all these little kids have milk and different snacks and uh, goldfish, and it's poison to her. And she is awesome. She, she's really good about it. She has had a great spirit about it. But every once in a while, just like we all do, she gets discouraged. And sometimes she says things to me like, Daddy, I wish I didn't, I wish I didn't have these allergies. I wish I could 
uh, eat these same things that everybody else does. So what do I do in those moments? Well, I have to encourage her with the truth. And there are times where I've told her we've made heaven dates, okay? I'd say to her, Evie, one day we're going to get to feast with Jesus in his home together, and you're going to get to eat whatever you want. And why is that so powerful to her in that moment? Well, for one, it's true. Because all, for those of you who are in pain today, physical pain, the brokenness of this world, it's going to pass away. And it's going to be renewed. So it's true. The other reason why it's so powerful is because of our proximity with each other, right? The truth works because I'm in her life all the time, right? I mean, of course she's family, but I'm with her. And so that principle applies. I can go on, of course, with many different examples of why we need encouragement. But my point is that every week, there are strangers in this church with weary souls that need truth spoken to them. So will we go out and find them? We would go out and provide for their need of truth. But sometimes, on the other side of the coin, because we're incomplete as Christians, we also need correction. We need correction in our lives, and correcting and rebuking is never a pleasant part of the relationship, but the Bible assumes it and commands it. Uh, Passages like 2 Timothy, he tells them, preach the word, encourage one another, but also correct one another. So we have to do both. When's the last time that you were corrected by someone with biblical truth and received it well and received life from it? It's the other question we have to ask ourselves. Are, are we ready to receive correction at all? When's the last time that you corrected a fellow, uh, another Christian in the church to repent, their, to repent of their sin and walk towards God? I'm the worst of this. I'm preaching to myself probably more than any of you, especially with this topic. I'm a people pleaser. I avoid conflict at all costs, but the Bible commands me to do it. Ignoring the sin of our church family and pushing it under the rug is wrong and it's hurtful to their souls and it's actually hurtful to our own. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to a sin, and nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Love will sometimes require us to correct others, despite what we mostly hear today. About 20 years ago, there's a reality TV show, uh, reality TV show called Intervention. Why? Well, because interventions were actually a big part of our culture then. Um, There's not only a reality TV show about it, but TV series and and different movie scenes, all of them were uh, putting a lot of intervention scenes in their stories. And basically, the show was really simpler. They'd follow the life of someone who had uh, some sort of addiction that was, you know, really harming himself or, or harming others, harming his family, and they would invite... Uh, a licensed therapist, but they'd also invite all this person's closest friends and relatives and give him or her an ultimatum. And recently I was thinking to myself, if I started walking down a dark path, if I started walking away from God and, and uh, even in getting addicted or having some sort of addiction, 
would my wife have someone to go to? Would she have people to invite to my intervention? Do I have enough relationships, good relationships in my life that she would even have somebody to go to and invite uh, invite to this intervention? I mean, I don't hear about interventions anymore. And I wonder, is it because do we not have enough relationships for them anymore? My point with this is we have to be in each other's lives enough to even know if someone is veering away from God to correct them in the first place. Sometimes there are people veering and going toward a, a not a good path and we're not even aware of it because we're not in each other's lives enough. And so even if we did correct, even if we did see it, we also have to be in each other's lives enough so that they can actually hear the correction. For example, at BGSU's campus, there's a guy uh, who's quite infamous. His name's Bible Bob. Um, I didn't come up with his name. That's just literally what he tells everybody to call him. Anyway, uh, he yells at anyone passing by. I mean, yells at them. And he yells at them, actually, a lot of things from the Bible. So that's what's funny. Not everything he says is true, but there are things that he yells at them that I'm like, that's, te- that's technically biblical. That is a true statement. No one listens to him. Why? Well, he has no credibility, right? He's not in any of their lives. So we must be cautious not just to be in a relationship with someone. We, we, we do need to provide truth in that relationship. But we also must be in someone's life enough so that they will be willing and ready to receive the truth. Lastly, we must be available with one another with patience. Because when we encourage one another or when we correct one another, it's of course entirely possible that encouragement or correction will be heard and change might come overnight. Sometimes that happens. But change likely will come over multiple conversations and multiple challenges. Our job is not to make people spiritually ready. The Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit's job. But it is our job to be there when they are ready spiritually. In verse 12, we're commanded to be patient in affliction. And if we go out and look for saints in need... Our blessings with, or yeah, if we go out and look for saints in need and share our blessings with them, here's the thing. We're also going to share in their affliction. Their problem will, to an extent, become our problems. Their failure to overcome sin will be frustrating at times, just as our failure to overcome sin is. Sometimes the truth we're proclaiming to them, whether it be correction or encouragement, will not be heard for a very, very, very long time. So we must be patient waiting on the Holy Spirit to move in their hearts, but also believing that he's going to. It will be difficult, and some of you are probably now asking, how can I be that radical in my hospitality? How can I be patient in more afflictions if I'm drowning in my own? Which leads me to my final point. We cannot pursue hospitality without first understanding the hospitality we have ourselves received. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I wanted to remind you the truth of this passage. 
you have been brought into God's eternal home. Our home is not here, but we have an enduring and perfect home that is to come. Your sins are taken care of. You are taken care of. You are not in the process of being saved. You are saved. If you're not a Christian here, that promise and truth is offered to you to receive. But with that knowledge, with that promise, let us radically be available to one another. Let us be bold in speaking God's word to one another. And let us be patient in the Holy Spirit with one another. I'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. And uh, I want to thank you for the hospitality that we have all received in this life up until this point. Uh, I want to thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness. I want to thank you for pursuing us. And you found us in need and you provided our need. And I pray that you would help empower us to love one another and to open our homes to one another, to be available to one another. And I I, I pray that that would allow us to continue to be transformed and to look more like your son each and every day. We love you and we're so thankful for your grace. In your son's name I pray, amen.